and I've just launched a poll. So if you'd uh, respond to that poll, it'll give uh, Buck an idea in terms of specific areas that he should uh, uh, cover tonight. Uh, there are three responses to the question in terms of uh, his his the direction he would go with his talk. And uh, um, anything else, Buck, from an uh, introduction perspective? No, I'm, I'm pretty informal. So I have my, uh, I can see everybody at once. So if you have a question, just raise your hand. If you want to put something in the chat, put it in the chat. Um, and I can try to make sure I either account for it or look at it. Um, and so we'll see how it goes from there, basically. Okay. Okay. So again, uh, really good to have everybody here joining us via Zoom and good to see you all. Um, let's ask uh, the Lord for prayer. Phil, if you would, wouldn't mind uh, opening our, our time in prayer, please. Sure. Your Father, thank you for this time together and thank you for the opportunity to have Buck share with us. And we thank you for the uh, experience and the care that he's had on this particular topic. And dear Lord, we would pray that there'd be uh, an honesty and an integrity in connection with this topic among ourselves. <clears throat> First of all, the acknowledgement that you're the one who has designed the sexual relationship and that it is a, a beautiful and a wonderful part of our married lives and that it can be an extremely difficult and challenging part of our married lives. And then also, Father, there's the aspect of sexual relationships that are outside of marriage and then sexual relationships that are what we would call bent or out of order and so all of these things are a part of both our lives and our culture today and we would look forward to an exchange of thoughts and information guided by the spirit of god so bless Buck as he does this, and bless us as we listen and participate, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil, very much. Just a quick announcement again. There is a poll that is active right now. Uh, if you wouldn't mind responding to the question, that'll help uh, Buck guide in terms of what direction he goes. So without further ado, Buck, I'll turn it over to you now. Okay. Um, yeah, so as that comes in, we'll see what the results are. Again, just raise your hand, put something in the chat, whatever you, whatever you got. Um, I'll, I'm going to start with a little bit of a, I mean, I've shared some of this. I'm not sure in this context before, but my background and kind of how I got into this topic and what the training has been. Um, so, yeah, I'm with the Navigators part. Uh, there's, a, there's a wing of the Navigators called Shaw Sexual Health and Wholeness. And uh, I'm on the, the, the national team for that, Lisa and I are, and then I'm on the collegiate team. And then these last couple of years, I've been helping train young staff with, as part of that team um, inside of this area. And then I'm kind of like our rep for this, for our region, our collegiate region, the navigators. Uh, and then kind of working with, obviously work with students and then helping young staff. So like we're having, um, yeah, so we sometimes get staff placement just for the, one of this is their big area development and I work with them. So um and so part of the story with that is uh, this area has been uh, an intriguing journey over 11 years. And so when we first came on staff, Kent, for those of you who know, Kent's liberal arts. It's a lot of fashion, a lot of design, uh, very liberal arts-minded campus. And so when we went from Miami, Ohio, which is the exact opposite, uh, to Kent, 
it was like get on campus and expression is is highly valued um and we immediately started meeting people who are non-straight or non-binary everyone whatever language you want to use for them and so coming from uh living in four cornfields going to miami all these different things this was like a brand new like what do we do in this context and so um and then as we were meeting students and working with them i remember we were at a uh we had a men's event um our first couple of years probably like only year two three something like that we like a a men's overnight women's overnight and we were asking the men to share uh and one of the guys in that group was like just was sharing vulnerably and was like i'm just terrified to shower i just feel like i'm stuck in this i i, I i'm hopeless you know and our system that at that point was well people can share they can be honest but we had nothing to do with you like we don't have any tools we don't have any help for you uh we can try to talk about it but then talking too much about it isn't helpful not talking about it isn't helpful and we kind of wavered back and it's just and that just kind of plagued us and so we didn't know what to do so we started looking out going to find some tools um i remember i had a couple guys in a study probably year three uh and that study went terrible like really bad um and it was very frustrating because it was like a tool that people people used and i remember being very very frustrated and then so i, I felt like i was doing more damage than help and so we just shut it down and we kind of just didn't do anything for a year and then we had some people, the navigators come to our region and lead a workshop on how to lead these studies and kind of give us like a little bit of a tutorial. And about 30 minutes in, I realized that I did it completely wrong, uh, unknowingly. And it was just, I set it up wrong. I was doing it wrong. I was going to the wrong places. And, uh, and you just don't know until you start making the mistakes. And so uh, with his help, we started, uh, we launched another one uh and did it a lot better and that one went really really well ended up marrying three of those guys um and they're a lot of them are doing very well and uh have a lot more success and freedom in their life and and so it just became like this story for us of um kind of learning by fire and doing a lot more harm sometimes than good it felt like but the experience and kind of the perseverance to keep pushing through it um Kent's, I mean, we have, we always seem to have students in our ministry, um, that are non-straight, uh, that are, you know, that are around, that are active right now. We have a non-Christian guy who's around every week. Well, was around every week, um, who is gay and against Christianity, but, uh, he likes us and we're friends with him and he keeps coming back every week. And so, uh, so these are the questions that we're always wrestling with and the things that we're always wrestling with. And Kent's very, uh, open and affirming as a campus. Um, how do we love people and, and 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 stay within the design of what God has for us? And so anyway, we so we've made a lot of mistakes. I have we've had a couple students um, that, despite me trying to mess them up, have called me and helped me grow in these areas to love them well and to understand LGBT issues and and how to set a culture and a tone and love people. And so um, a lot of our experience with this is basically a wake of people that if it wasn't for God, they would have been dead um, and have been very, very gracious with us to help us grow and push through and, and find a language. So it's not like, anyway, so my story with this is more of a burden to get into it. And then just God being gracious and people being gracious enough that we were able to find our way. And after a bunch of, you know, what seems like Edison burning out tons of light bulbs, some of them started to flicker. And, uh, and now we're starting to like figure out some things and, and, and feel like, okay, I'm more equipped and well handled to do this. So, um, so that's kind of where we've been through all this. Um, so 
the category is broad. And my thought was I can do, I can share some biblical narrative stuff. I think that's really relevant for people is the deeper narrative of the Bible. How does the story of what God is doing and his design attach to what we're doing now? And how do we um, kind of come alongside of that? Um, and so that's, that's something we also can do Q and a, if we want people to really have some burning questions, uh, LGBT Gen Z, those are really relevant. One out of three Gen Z don't identify as binary. Um, and so they're rejecting gender stereotypes and, uh, embracing gender fluidity. Um, and so, and there's a bunch of sources on that anyway. So, uh, it's kind of a broad thing. So, um, if the poll is done, it is, and, uh, it looks like almost 70% of the responses, Buck is, uh, responding towards that LGBT Gen Z topic. Oh, dang. Okay. That's, that's high. Okay. Okay. And the second is biblical themes, and last is the Q and A. Yeah, last is the Q and A. Okay, so people just don't have questions. So, or maybe they do, but we'll make space for them. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Again, if you have any questions, uh, raise your hand, put in the chat. I I'm used to using Zoom. We use it with students all the time now. That's apparently COVID life. So, uh, I'll see your hand or the questions. I think there's only one page, still, right, Chris? Yeah, there's only one page. So, so so far, I can see everybody. Um, okay, well, let me, um, let me start with, uh, I'm going to breeze through some of the quick theme real fast so I can get out of the way. I'm going to share my screen real fast. Um, you know what? Not yet. I'm going to wait a second. So, uh, one of the workshops that we lead on this team, um, uh, we titled it the Euangelion of sex. And, uh, we kind of did that on purpose. Euangelion is the Greek word for gospel. Um, and it's really comes, uh, from the idea of what is the good news of sexuality? What is the good news that the world's looking for? I think one of the, one of the hard things with this topic is it feels like you're defending, uh, losing, basically you're defending ground that keeps getting eaten away from you. And so I think one of the things is how do we, um, how do we lift up something? So the design is so good that people want it to be true. One of the things I stole from Keller is the idea of, can we make people, instead of telling them what's true, when they leave, can we make them wish it was true? That is the design and the good news that God has for us in the Bible and with sexuality so good that the world is, is looking at us and going, boy, that sounds better than what I have, and I really want that. It just seems too good to be true. And I think that is the story of the Bible. I don't think it's defending something that's being outdated. I don't think it's defending something that's no longer relevant. Uh, I think what the world is really after is what the Bible has to offer. Uh, they just have a bunch of baggage uh, when it comes to figuring out what that is. And some of that is church history recently. Some of that is culture. I mean, just a bunch of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, so I like the, the frame of that, you and Gillian have sex. Um, and so the, my favorite theory from the Gospel of Mark, some of you listen to the same podcast that I do, so you know this comes from, is that Mark was set up to run parallel to uh, a, a Caesar being inducted into Rome. That, it's just a theory. You can take it for what it is. But the idea was that the Gospel of Mark is trying to show you that as Caesar offers his promises, offers his good news, offers his kingdom, all these different things of how a Caesar would be uh, really brought into power. It'd be like taking our presidential campaign and what we do to establish a president and then writing the Gospel and saying, they're not your president, Jesus is. You don't look to them, it's Jesus. And it's kind of a subversion of that culture and time. And I think, to me, I think that's the way I look at the, the sexuality in the Bible. It's that what the world is promising, it can't deliver on. 
what the world is telling you and the idea of expression and all these different things, it just won't get it for you. Uh, but what Jesus has to offer, that's the real good stuff. And if we're willing to take a listen and we're willing to see what it is, this is really what's out there. So uh, I really like that. And so, um, so I'll put this way. Uh, one of the things I like to say is the way you view the Ten Commandments is going to determine the way you view God. And so if you view the Ten Commandments as a list of things to not mess up or a list of rules to follow, then you are going to view God that way. He is someone who is waiting for you to mess up, um, and he is going to come and get you when you, when you do. And so, um, so for me, I don't, I don't think that's what Ten Commandments are. Uh, and so this comes from Ray Vanderlaan, who I've, I've read a lot and studied a lot as well. Um, he talks about the Ten Commandments are marriage vows, that what God is trying to set up at Mount Sinai is a marriage between him and his people. And what he wants to do is give you the vows of how he wants to relate with us. And so the idea of, 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 of the first three commands is completely covenantal language. I am your God and you are my people. Like that's, that's what God wants to set up first. I am your God and you are my people. And then from there on, it's shaping the commandments. He says, this is how I want our relationship to look. This is how I want our intimacy to look. I want you to be content with me providing for you. I want you to be safe. I want you to don't, don't lie, don't hurt yourself. I mean, all these different things keep us a date day. And as we understand that what God really wants is intimacy. And the commandments aren't there to necessarily like break them and you're going to go to hell. But God is saying, this is how I want to relate together. And this is how we're going to have intimacy together. This is how our relationship will look. I think it shapes them better because we understand um, why they're so good, like Psalm 119, that praises these commands and, and loves them and they're good news and he, and, he, and he kind of holds them so close to his heart, but also just shows that like this, God is wanting to relate with us uh, and isn't here just to like punish us. He, he, wants, us to, he wants to give us good things. So uh, I love that idea. Uh, in that same story with Ray, he talks about the idea of uh, Mount Sinai, that when God gave him the Ten Commandments, he took Moses on the, on the mountain and that it's a picture of a Jewish wedding that God was marrying his people. And upon coming down the mountain during the celebration of the wedding, there's the bride having an affair with another God at the wedding. And Moses smashes the stones and, the, and, the, and, the, and smashing the stones has all the, the connection to the Leviticus when people were caught in adultery of, of grinding things up and making them drink it. And those that are guilty would die. It's as if God gives the, the punishment out of those that are guilty of affair are the ones that are going to perish. And then God turns to Moses and says, now come back up on the mountain. I know you were adulterous. I know that you left me at the wedding, but I still want to marry you. I'm still committed to you. I still want intimacy with you. I'm not going to give up on you. And I think that's the picture of what God is after with us. And so sexuality is all about intimacy. That's the whole, that's the whole game. It, it always has been. It always will be. It's why uh, God set it up that way. It's the kind of intimacy he wants to have with us. And so, uh, I think that's, it's helpful, I think, to view it more as a marriage and a covenant. Um, and so verses like Jeremiah um, 31, 32, um, I won't pull it up, I'll just read it. Um, let me go get it. I love this one. The prophets are full of this, by the way, of like adultery and um, just like broken covenants and bridegrooms. But uh, Jeremiah 31, 32 says, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. And that's God kind of saying he's going to bring a new covenant and kind of prophetic speaking to Jesus. But I mean, God views it that way as a husband, um, as a husband who's been cheated on, 
as a husband who's lost his wife like Hosea. And it's all over the scriptures about how God wants to know us. And so uh, I think that design is very helpful. Um, I, I, in this, I did the sermon earlier today. Um, the language I've been liking recently um, with this topic is the idea of using things according to design. This is going to set up the LGBT real quick. Um, is knowing the way things are designed. Things are designed a certain way. They, everything's designed with a certain end game or a certain design. Uh, and so when you take a tool and you use it outside of its design, um, that becomes a dangerous ground for everybody. Uh, you can still get good things out of it. I mean, talking with a non-Christian guy about you know, having sex outside of marriage, you can get intimacy. The world knows you can get intimacy by breaking design. You can get good things. You can have committed relationships. I mean, the LGBT thing is like, we, are, we have intimacy. We have vulnerability. Yeah, I get it. You have good things, but you have to work a lot harder and it's exhausting and you don't get the full thing. That when you use things outside of design, it takes way more effort and doesn't give you nearly the return that it's supposed to. Uh, on the other side, you always run the risk of breaking the tool or breaking somebody else. And so when you, use, when you, when you kind of forsake design, you might destroy people. And I think most of college campuses around the area of sexuality is people trying to get good things by using the design to serve their own purposes. And they're constantly being broken and breaking people because they're not using it for what it's designed to do. And so I think design is really helpful. So how do you go back and say, this is what it's designed to be. And then we got to honor that and then say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you that you know what you're doing, that you want what's best for me, even in my sexuality, that I can trust you enough to give you even my sexuality. So, um, so that's going to set it up. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to that in a little bit. But uh, are there any quick questions? What questions do you have so far? Someone here. There is one question in the chat, Buck. I don't know if you can see it or not. Uh, yeah, I got it up. Okay. Um, so compared to the local church, we are, um, I don't know, like we're kind of like rogue people in the Navigators as far as so the, the question in the chat there. Um, we can kind of do whatever we want. Like they're 18 to 22 year old adults. So we don't have any legal ramifications. Um, we uh, are on college campuses, which talk about it way more than we do. Uh, and, you know, and so it, it's it, in some sense, like we hit the, it's like the perfect time in their life to talk about it. Cause like they're full of expression. Anyway, they're, it's like right in that sweet spot of people have no idea who they are and they want to figure it out. So um, yeah, so we don't have any, we're pretty, we're pretty free to like, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I mean, we're smart. We're not dumb. We don't meet people one-on-one, opposite gender, those kinds of things. Um, yeah. Anyway. So um, let me see. I'm going to go, let me go to one more biblical thing and then I can get to the LGBT. That might make some more sense too. I'm trying to set this up. Well, um, man, I have so much on this. Let me get to my, um, yeah, I want to use this. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm just going to screen share the whole thing. Okay. I'm going to pull this up. Um, so I'm going to try to stick with the Bible here. Okay. This is one of my favorite, um, other Evangelion's kind of idea, other good news. What's the world offering? Uh, some, a lot of this comes from Julie Slattery's rethinking sexuality. Uh, she was a huge influence on us. Uh, the navigators in general, and also Lisa and I and our own growth and, and growing in this. Um, I love the story of the prodigal son. 
And I love comparing the two sons into different categories of a narrative. So the purity narrative and the cultural narrative. The purity narrative is what the church has been bad at in response to sexuality. This has become a church that's gone silent and has tried to basically take the area of sexuality and just suppress it. And so they become like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. They stay with the father, but they're not with the father's heart. And so the maturity in this system um, is the idea of like, well, first off, the word purity implies pure or impure. So like once you have a purity narrative in a church, I grew up with this. It's like, you got to stay pure. You got to stay pure. Well, once you're not, it's over. And it's really unhelpful language for guys and girls when they're struggling with this, because once you kind of cross that line, well, you can just go as far as you want because you've already crossed it. There's no level of integrity. There's no level of, of pursuing. It's just like you're either all good or you're all bad. It's, a, it's like a binary statement. It's real bad. Um, and so anyway, maturity is, equal, is married as a virgin. So if you aren't married as a virgin, like, well, good luck. Can't be mature in this system. Like now it's plan B for you. And God's going to love you, but not as much as he would have if you had been an obedient Christian. Uh, and we've all heard the illustrations of youth groups passing, you know, showing a flower and passing it around. It's all messed up. And like, who wants the rose? You know, like this is disgusting. Why would you do this with your body? And they just feel terrible about themselves, right? Um, but the one that does it, you know, the one that does stay pure and kind of, they feel, poof, they are you know, they are very proud of themselves is how I would say that. Uh, and so it becomes staying here or being a whore. Um, and so the problem is anybody who's been abused, anyone who's single, anyone who's an LGBT, they have no place at the table inside of this narrative. Uh, and, and this became kind of the, um, this became kind of the, the, the public, like this is what it means to live a pure life in your sexuality as things kind of unraveled in the last two decades. Uh, and the problem is these people kind of bought into this narrative and got married. Their sex lives were hard. Uh, they didn't get what they were promised. Like it was supposed to be easy. Why didn't I did, I did everything for God. Why didn't God honor me with what he's supposed to give me? And they've realized that, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't the gospel. Maybe I've kind of basically hijacked God by saying, if I do my stuff, you'll give me, you know, you'll give me what I deserve. And this, this has caused a ton of damage. Julie's got tons of podcasts of people just throwing away their whole faith because of this. But they come back and they're like, I'm done with everything because God, God's completely off. So is there a question? No, okay. So the cultural one is the younger brother. Uh, they're the ones that just said, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to leave. I'm out of the father's house. I'm going to go somewhere else. And maturity equals sexual experimentation. Uh, and this is what the world is like. Expression and experimentation is what means you're living into and living into a realized sexuality. Uh, it's all about expression. Uh, and so if you look at it's expression versus repression. And in some, I, I would say the church has tried to repress. Instead of letting God shape and mold and take their sexuality forward, they tried to repress it uh, and then not talk about it or, you know, try to control it. Uh, and so I think the younger brothers like I'm done with this and they go out and it's all about expression and experimentation. Uh, the campus is full of this. The problem is when you hit the, when you hit the bottom and you're eating pig feed, uh, there's no hope of going back because churches aren't like the father's kingdom. Uh, when you go back, you often feel judged and condemned and they don't feel like it's a good place to be loved. Uh, and so they often feel like, well, I can't go back there. Like, you know, they're just gonna tell me they told me so. Uh, and it's a bad, it's a, it's a rough I think it's a rough um, indictment of, a, of the American church of not being a place for broken people to come back to. Uh, and so I like these two because they set up um, an older brother and a younger brother. And neither one of these is good news. Uh, neither one of these is really what God has to offer. None of this is in the scripture. 
as far as what God is saying his kingdom is like. Um, and so these two are just like, but I think me growing up, I was forced to pick one. I felt like these were my only two avenues. Either be the good Christian kid or just go off and be a rebellious and, you know, and be a, you know, some kind of like whore, you know, there was no other options for me. Uh, at least not in the worldview that I grew up in. I didn't know any of the other stuff. And so I think most people, it, they feel the tension between these two things. And it's like picking between like two bad things. It's like, um, I often have to ask the question. I said, if you had a, uh, a marriage that was all law, like all like commitment, but no, no desire, no passion. Like you were committed to one another contractually. You, you took your vows seriously, but there was no desire or passion. What would that marriage look like? Right? And then I flip it. What would it look like if it was all passion and desire, but no commitment, no vows whatsoever? Right. And, and the saddest answers when students tell us and they go, well, that's my parents. And they're like, Oh, that's not good. You know? Um, but these two versions of marriage come out of these two narratives. It's I'm going to do everything right. Cause I have to, or I'm going to be all about passion and desire because I think it's what feels right to me. And these are the two versions of marriage. Most of our world and most of the young people have seen. Uh, and when, it, when they, and when they come to this, you say, well, which marriage would you rather have? You have to pick one. And it's like picking between two evils. Most, most young people don't want marriage, not because marriage isn't good. because these are the only marriages they've seen. You know, and they're looking at their parents' marriages and they're going like, they're only in this because they took commitments to each other. They don't care or desire one another at all. Or looking at it and going, I mean, my mom's full of passion, but she's got eight boyfriends a month. You know, it's like, well, what is the difference? You know, and, but they don't want that. Why would they want to re replicate that? And so I think a lot of people, younger people, when I hear them say, I don't want this and I don't want that, or this is all messed up. I go, where did you see this? What are you rejecting? <clears throat> like, like, you don't just come up with these answers on your own. You know, like, you know, so. Anyway, um, so those are helpful um, for me. I'm not sure if they're helpful for you. So uh, maybe a quick feedback. Someone could help me. What, 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 what's been good or not good or questions? <laughs> no, it was helpful. I thought it was good. I, um, I, I, you're going to be presenting the third picture, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Question on the first picture, though the, uh, uh, the 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 wrong tool analogy that the results are uh, less than what it would have been if you had the right tool. How do you get from that setting to where you, you've chosen the tools are given by God, and so the wrong tool you've chosen is against God's law? Or, and how do you get to that point, or is that way down the road somewhere? Um, yeah, good question. Uh, so I actually, I tried to keep a, a thread with all the things this weekend. So that's the, the sermon will have some of that in there. Um, I try to go with that route. Um, uh, what I went with is the idea of, uh, if we look at our, our cravings, our instincts, our desires, you know, the, the looking at the fruit in the garden of Eden, seeing that it's good to eat, seeing that it's desirous, they crave it and they take it for themselves. It's the same lingo we receive repeated throughout the whole Old Testament. It's the same thing David's going to say when he sees Bathsheba. It's almost direct quotes from the Hebrew of he's going to see, it's going to look good, he's going to take for himself. Um, and I think a lot of it is when it comes to the area of sexuality, I think we have this tension of uh, do we take for ourselves? That's really what it comes down to. Most of the world is just taking for themselves, no matter what the cost is. Uh, 
I think what, when we really take an open hand and trust God is we allow God to take all those cravings, instincts, and desires and say, God, you, you guide this. Like you drive the car forward on this because uh, when you're driving, this is going to be way better. Uh, I can, I can crave and desire lustful things and right. And there's tons of places for this in our culture for anybody in their sexuality to, to go after cravings, desires, and whatever looks good to the eyes. Uh, the problem is that's going to lead to death. It's similar in the wilderness when they crave meat and they have all the graves of those who died because they overate the meat. Uh, but when God takes our cravings and then shapes them within his design, all those expressions that are good that God has given us to actually have inside of us become expressed in the places that they're made to be expressed. And so, and then when those become expressed in those places, they become dynamic. And so, uh, and, and sexuality is more than just like having sex or, or, or physical intimacy. It's, it can also be expressed in singles and in gender. And so how do we take these things and let God shape them so that they become dynamic? You know, how can Paul use his sexuality as a single person and become one of the most influential and, and driving pictures of this intimacy in, you know, in our Bible? Because he was able to do the same thing. Say, God, I'm not going to just act on these. I'm going to let you direct them and tell me where to take them. And so for when we look at the idea of marriage and singles, it's really the idea of which gift God has given you. If God has given you a gift, then we got to say, I want that gift. The one that you've given me is the one that I want. And can you teach me how to use it? Like you taught the Israelites how to walk with you in the, in the desert. Can you show us what it means to use this for your sake so that my sexuality is now a different thing in the world than what humanity usually does with it? Can we have a different story going forward? So, um, so I think it's less about, so that for me, it's, it's when we try to use the tool for our own sake is when we usually are outside of design and break stuff. But when we, when we trust God to use that tool um, and his design, it becomes dynamic and it's unbelievably uh, productive, you know, and, and fruitful. So, um, so yeah, so, so go ahead. I was going to say, so when you hold one of these classes or even the navigators, um, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around a, a third of the students are binary. Yeah. So basically it's saying that you got a third think they're women, a third think they're men and another third are not sure. No. So non-binary is going to be um, basically the opposite of like ones and zeros. So like that's the, that's the, that's where they're stealing the language from. So binary one and zero, they're saying, I don't identify as a one or a zero. And so they're looking at it as a spectrum. That's why you see the LGBT language of spectrum is they're saying it's more of a spectrum or fluidity is the way they would like to use that phrase. Um, and so what they're, I, I think, again, I, everyone's got to just make their own conclusions. Um, I think we're seeing um, fruits of kind of two things. Um, there's more, but these are my two that I, these I think are coming out of the most is I think we're seeing a rejection of gender roles. So what have been historical gender roles uh, and what has been um, considered masculine and feminine are being pushed back upon. Uh, and so people are saying, I reject the, I, I reject what culture says gender roles are. And they would even say I reject gender roles in, in, just in general. Um, and so, because they're, they don't know what to do with it. Um, and then I think the other one, um, how do I want to say this? Um, is I think 
with the with with the world moving more towards the younger brother expression and experimentation is so highly valued and praised that i think people are being encouraged to experiment at much younger ages and so they're identifying as non-binary because it's better to be non-binary it's it's becoming almost more trendy to to not be binary right because that that expression is what the game is about and so when you have this game of expression and progress progressiveness so the kind of the progressive agenda the, the the line that you have to get to to be like politically correct or like express is always moving and so you're just going to see a breakdown of, of any of these things because they're they're too boxy and people want to break out of this stuff so okay. i think that's part of it but so I don't know. I don't know what the difference is, but it's definitely much, way, way, way more uh, experimentation. Maybe not necessarily together, but definitely through internet and through media. Uh, and then I think there's also a rejection of what has been traditional gender roles, because that's been even in the TV shows. If you watch or news, they're just highly, highly pushed back upon now than ever before. Like well, as you're interacting with students, um, is, is your interaction? Uh, it can go, it go a number of ways, I guess, but what I'm trying to get, get at is, is there a sense of brokenness, regardless of what, you know, their perspective is? Is there a sense of brokenness that they, they're coming to you and asking questions? Or is there a sense of pride or I'm right, therefore they want to engage in debate? What, what's typically the interaction with the perspective of the person that you're engaging with? It, it varies quite a bit. Um, the second one varies a lot. Uh, the first one, um, I would say we're at a generation that is feeling more ashamed of who they are um, and more, more um, aware of their brokenness than other generations. Uh, I, I think most college students, younger people, already feel the, the brokenness of sexuality. Uh, because it's moving down so quickly and in, in what they're being told, they already see the consequences of it within their own homes for the first time in our nation's history, more there are, the majority of homes are now broken homes, meaning they're not a husband and a, and a wife. Uh, so the, the, the majority of homes are, are non-married. Um, and so they're seeing the consequences of all of these things and uh, they're experimenting or they've been burned. They're, they're terrified. So uh, we ran a, a, a week. So Kent does an annual sex week and we did our sexuality thing with our non-Christians during that same week. And, uh, and all we did was just, I said, hey, this is, what our, this is what you're hearing this week about what's being promoted and celebrated. Let's talk about the consequences of these things and what really happens. Let's play them out. And as we just took each one and just said, hey, this is what we're talking about and what's being celebrated. What do you think? Uh, you know, what do you think about? It? We, just, we, just, we just went through the problems. Just went through, like, just the ways that they're breaking. And, uh, and they were all like, I mean, every one of them are like, yeah, what do we do? Um, and then we kind of leave it there. We don't really give them a, a gospel answer because um, we told them we wouldn't. But um, one of the non-Christians, I, I think I shared this in, a, in an update, but one of the non-Christians was kind of recapping the night to another non-Christian who came from the, from the, the, the transgender uh, fashion show. And she's like, what did I miss? And she goes, well, basically, like, you're alone and you're depressed and, and, and you know, and, and you're just broken. You know, I forget how she said it exactly. And then the student who came in late goes, oh, I already knew that. You know, and so that's just the same. I mean, they're just, they already know it. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's really hard um, t 
to watch them because I think they already know they're broken. We don't have to tell them that they already know it and they already hate themselves for it. So what's the better, what's the, what's the better story? Um, and so, yeah, what's, yeah, it's, that's the better, what's the better story. So, um, Buck, um, can I ask you, like, do you have any resources for, cause I know for, um, yeah, like for younger kids, cause you say it is younger and younger. And I can see that comparison from when my older two were even in, you know, middle school, um, versus Samuel now who's in middle school and majority of the kids are gender fluid and, and it, it's, it's, it's commonplace and, you know, majority of his friends are, and, you know, and they're at our house and, and, and how, you know, how do we, we accept them and love them for who they are. And we want to show them that, but yeah, any resources that you might have, how to talk to them, how just, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's a whole different, it's a whole different culture and to, to help them at an earlier age, I yeah. guess that would be, how would be the best way to help them at an earlier age? Uh, yeah. Uh, boys, so, so, resources is like so many. Um, um, I like podcasts. So those are my favorite. Julie Slattery is Java with Julie is a great podcast. Just listen to that a lot. Uh, we just, Got it, brought in a guy to consult with us, teach us named Preston Sprinkle, which is called Theology in the Raw. He's really good with LGBT. He is, um, he is very engaged. Like he's, he knows people. Like it's not like theory for him. It's practice. Uh, he's, he's really good. Um, and so with LGBT, there's a, a ministry called Lead Them Home by Bill Henson, which I really like. Um, he's got some good stuff. He's primarily geared more towards church culture and helping parents and churches of, of, of people that are coming out. Um, but it's, it's, uh, I think it's really, uh, really good of like shaping things and giving good language. Um, it's hard because, uh, so I would say one of the guiding principles is if you love people, then it's a lot harder to mess up. And so I think when Jesus said the second greatest commandment is loving people, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. I think if you do that well, it, it's a lot harder to mess up. Um, most, most people in our culture already know what Christians believe. We don't need to tell them anymore. Uh, when I sit down with LGBT students, um, they'll ask me questions and I can just ask them, well, what do you think I believe? And without fail, they know what I believe. Um, and so they already know it. Uh, their posture has been, I know what you believe and I know you don't like me. Uh, or I know you're going to tell me to be different. They just, they come with all this baggage um, that's from the 60s, 70s and 80s. And, um, and so they already know. So how do you love them? And how do you just say, you know what? I just love you. And I, I know what I believe. You know, I mean, like I, Jesus seemed to be okay with a lot of mess around him. And I see that all the time. Um, and so how do we help them and say, listen, I'm, I'm just going to love you. And, and they start asking questions just to be there. Uh, they, they just need a safe place to process and um, talk. I mean, yeah, if you love people in today's culture, you can do a lot of mistakes because not a lot of people are loved anymore. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so let me, let me, let me go back to the, the, um, the narrative real quick um, just to kind of bring it home and then we'll move to LGBT of what we do. So, um, the, the, I think what the gospel offers is the only real place to have intimacy. Um, if people, pe what people are looking for in each other, they can't get anywhere else. Uh, 
I mean, the picture of sexuality is, is directly from, is from, it's, it's, uh, oh, man, I'm losing my words here. Um, let me go back. So asking the question, why do we, why do we have marriage and why did God give us sex? Because they were designed and he gave them to us. And so God gave marriage for intimacy and sexuality, sex, specifically sex is a, is, is just, um, is made for intimacy. It's a picture of nakedness. It's, it's, it's an expression of what you're supposed to be in every other area of your marriage. Uh, the picture itself is about the idea of, of a woman being vulnerable enough for a man to come in and to, um, and to know her about the idea, even, even of the man offering the seed to bring life into the woman is full gospel pictures about how we are vulnerable enough and we are open enough that God is able to come into us and he's able to bring life and, and to produce and multiply that into, into, into the world. Like the imagery and the analogies go on and on and on about how just the, the nakedness and vulnerability that we are to have within that structure is really between us and God. It, it, that's what it's supposed to be. And so that's what the image is supposed to be. And so when people, when singles and people who aren't married yet say, well, I just, you know, God asked me to be single. I don't know if I can do that. And I, and I think what I tell them is, listen, if God isn't in my marriage, if I, my sex life and my marriage would be terrible if I didn't have God in it. Because I don't have the ability to be that open and vulnerable uh, to, to love my wife without somehow being that met somewhere else. Like it's, it's, it's the idea of a picture versus the Grand Canyon's image, image I like to use. You know, if you've seen a picture of the Grand Canyon, it looks great, but it's just a picture. It's not supposed to be the real thing. And when you see the real thing, everyone talks about how you're in awe. I always said the joke that Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec said, it's one of the reasons men can cry, which I think is a funny joke and uh, comes with a bunch of stereotype baggage of gender. Anyway, so, but the idea is when you see the real thing, it's completely different. And I think what our world has done is they've passed off the picture as the real thing. And then we've wondered why they've rejected the real thing. And I think a lot of times they haven't even experienced the real thing. Sexuality is supposed to be by seeing the real thing. And then that lights up whatever gift God gives you. It's about seeing what's really available between us and God. And then whatever gift God gives you, it is now expressed with the real thing lighting up whatever picture you got. Because marriage and singles are both pictures. And so to me, I think that's really helpful when you talk to people is saying, listen, that's a picture. It's not the real thing. If you want the real thing, let's go to the real thing. Because I'm telling you, marriage isn't the real thing. It can offer a lot. It's a great, listen, it's, it's, it's great, but it's, it's not any better than singleness. And so what is the real thing? Because that's what we have access to in the Bible. And when we have that, it changes everything. Uh, and so now from there, it's going to come up with a lot of, it just depends on their story to how to, how to bring that into context. So. So those are helpful paradigms for, uh, at least for me. I think Lisa would agree. She's in my little screen down there. Hi, baby. Um, and so now LGBT, I'll jump over there real quick. Um, so we always have, so uh, we always have students. Um, we've had students on staff. We have students currently. Uh, we've always have students in 11 years that are on the LGBT spectrum. And uh, we've had, uh, yeah, anyway, so. Um, how do we love them? I think there are two ways to think about this. One is culture. What kind of culture are you setting up? Uh, and what kind of standards, not standards, but what kind of culture and what kind of, um, how are you framing sexuality? What you do with your straight people means the world to what you do with uh, LGBT people. Because if you are going to blast or fight against or 
um, take away opportunities from LGBT people, but not talk about issues of masturbation and pornography, then it's really you just picking what you want to fight against. Uh, if you're not going to hold the standards the whole way across, they're going to easily look and say, hey, I'm gonna, you, know, you asked me if I'm gay, but yes, that guy be watching porn. So why is he allowed to do that? And I'm not allowed to do it. They, they immediately know. Uh, they, they, they know where the church is at with their sexuality, and they know if you're just trying to pick against them. And so if you're going to be consistent, you have to be consistent across the board. It's got to look the same on, both, on all of it, from married to singles to, to, to gay to straight, whatever it is. It, if, you, if, you, if you mix them up, they, they immediately see through it. Um, and so you have to have the biblical narrative lifted up and saying, this is what we're aiming for. We haven't arrived. We are all sexually broken people, every single one of us. Uh, the Bible isn't like, oh, you're more sexually broken. I am straight, and I'm just as sexually broken as you as a gay person. Uh, what I'm trying to do is I want to know who God is. I think he's worth knowing. I think God is the only place that can meet me for what I need. What I'm looking for in sexuality is really met in God, and that's where I'm going. I'm there to hear his voice, and whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do. Uh, if that becomes the posture of everyone sexually broken, everyone's opening their hand and saying, God, do whatever you want with me, even my sexuality, then LGBT people can go, LGBT people can say, okay, now I'm more interested. Um, because they want to know if you're trying to change them or if you're trying to give them a place um, to wrestle with things and know God. Because they want to know, can I know God and still be gay? Right? And, and if you go to the scriptures, yes, you can still know God and still be gay. Right. I mean, there's I mean, it's Jesus plus nothing. The whole book of Galatians is it's Jesus plus nothing. You don't have to be straight to be in heaven. Uh, it's it's do who are you trusting to save you? Who are you trusting for atonement? Who is your king? Who's on the throne? I mean, all the language that you want to look at. Um, you know, it's like I mean, it's the same question of saying, would you look to your son and say, if you're gay, then you're not my son. What? what how does that change? Who's in my family or not? Um, now it, that might look as far as like the relationship, right? Cause when someone says God can't touch this part of my life, well then that's, that's going to be a problem, right? Because it's really hard to have intimacy with somebody in a marriage. If someone says, Hey, this area in our marriage off limits. And I would say, why, why are you married again? What, what, what are you interested in here? Because the, I, I'm not really interested in a marriage where things are off limits to one another. Uh, and that's the same way with our relationship with God. So straight students, gay students, that's kind of the approach we take. Is, nothing's off limits. I mean, if we're going to be married to this, let's, let's be married to this. Have some integrity here. Open your hand on everything. Don't, don't close it. But I think God's willing to, to give them time to see if they want to. And so can we make them fall in love with God so much they want to? Um, can, we make them, can we let them hear God's voice and let God speak to those things? Because I can't change people's minds and hearts, but God can. I'm not as attractive as God is. But he, you know, and so he can do all those things. And so that becomes a huge um, dynamic. And and then I would say, same thing with sexuality. Um, is it punitive or grace-based? Um, and so there's two students I always share with this. We had two students, a guy and a girl. Um, the, they, were both, they were both on our leadership team. Um, college leadership teams are very messy, uh, which you'll see in a second. They were both on our leadership team, and they both slept with somebody. And, uh, and the girl came, and she told us, and she confessed. And it was a situation where we never would have found out. It was a boy from home. Uh, we would never have known. Uh, she confessed. And then uh, a guy had slept with somebody and basically somebody else in the ministry was at that same party and uh, told us about it. And so she confessed and he hid. 
And so when I confronted him, he didn't he denied it and lied. And then finally, when he realized that he was caught, he got super mad and, uh, and then fought, fought me. And so we removed him from leadership and we kept her in leadership. And, uh, and so, so what we said was, this is what we want to do uh, and when, when, when our sin is revealed to us, is we want to have the place to be able to come before God, ask for forgiveness, uh, and, to, and, to under, like, and really just go through the lament and grieving process and, and forgive and then, and then just to be reestablished to do ministry again and, and, and grow into that. It's, it's how we come, it's like Peter, how we come back from our brokenness. Um, are we really going to trust God and trust the story again? Or are we going to fight it and, and, and deny it and say, no, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and then get mad when it's like Saul or David. I mean, tons of analogies. So um, when we've done those things, it has created a culture where our straight students and gay students feel the freedom to say, I'm not there yet and I'm messed up still. And here's my life story because they can look at us and say, you're not just going to slap me on the wrist and say, I'm a bad person. And so it becomes a much better place where they can say, you're going to love me and you're going to help me know God. And you're looking at my heart, not my actions. And so I'm, I, I, I now want to confess. Because I don't want to be stuck here any longer. It, it encourages them to go, I want to get this out. I don't want to live with this anymore. And I now know that you're going to love me and you're going to help me through this. And you're not just there to rake me over the coals with it. And our LGBT students can see that too. It gives them the boldness to go, oh man. You know, and so, and, and one of the things that we have done, one of, the, one of the things I found helpful is I actually lift up our LGBT friends for our straight students. I say, listen, our LGBT friends are incredibly bold. Because for them to have this wrestle, most LGBT people have, have spent most of their life trying to pray the gay away. Uh, over and over, I, every time I ask them, I say, how long have you prayed the gay away? It's not like, that's a weird question. They always give me, a, it's like eight years since I've been 12. It's every time. They, they've always tried to pray the gay away. If, if they've been around the church. If they're not, they're not around the church, they don't care. Um, if they've been around the church, they always want to pray the gay. They're always trying to pray the gay away. And you talk to ask the questions and you say, what was it like? You know, how hard was this? What, what, did you, what, what damage did your church do? It's always something. Who was the most biggest offenders? Um, but anyway, so for them to live with this lie and this constant fear of rejection and hiddenness, when they finally come out to tell people, it is unbelievably like um, vulnerable because they don't know how people are going to respond. Uh, and so when you're there and when they have advocates who are with them, it, that means the world to them because they're going like, okay, someone's in my corner. They're not going to leave no matter what I do. It's, it's just, it's, it's security for them. And so for us, I say, listen, we can learn. I think straight people and specifically purity culture people can learn from LGBT people because it feels the same way to come out with your sexual problems and brokenness. But we need to come out and share that. Because otherwise, we're living our whole life in a fear of being found out and hiddenness, and it's just going to take us out of the race. It's, it, it becomes perpetuating. The, reason, like the very same things that you're trying to hide and cope with, you end up turning to because you don't know where else to go. And we need to have the strength to be able to share our brokenness. And we need to have cultures where we come alongside people and build advocacy uh, and not bring punitive punishment and, and condemnation. And so, and that's helpful when I kind of share that for the LGBT people because they're like, you saw like they feel seen because for them it's that was hard for me like you acknowledged my story and how hard that was for me to risk my relationships and my personality and my identity to to see what people would do with that 
And again, it's just kind of trying to promote a culture of let's just be open, even with our sexuality, and then we'll all go to God together. The results will speak for themselves. Uh, and we've lost gay students. We know gay students that are in relationships and living with their boyfriends and, um, you know, bisexual. And it's hard when, but they, they say they step away. We don't, when, when they leave, we're still friends with them. We still have good relationships. Lisa sees the one at the grocery store. I see him when I go to restaurants. I mean, he's, he, we're still friends and we talk. Uh, and, but it's, what are we trying to, how are we trying to love them well? So um, I'll stop there. More questions. Uh, we only have five minutes left, but we'll see. More questions? I can stay longer. I don't care. But people are free to leave. Question. There was a question earlier in the chat. Um, is uh, particularly area of how, how are you instructing your three boys about sexuality? Yeah, good question. Oh, yeah, Amy. So, um, um, <clears throat> uh, I think... Um, we can only, so I think the idea of this is we only give people what we know. Um, that's kind of what works for us. My biggest thing in my life that helped me was my parents almost got divorced and they stayed together. Uh, and my parents, I knew my parents had sex. Um, there's tons of funny stories about that, but I, I a hundred percent knew that when I was growing up. Um, and so, um, and so, but that as much as any teenager hates all of that, uh, that became really helpful for me because I knew what a good marriage looked like and one that almost fell apart, but stayed together and what, it, and, and what they're looking for. Uh, it became attractive to me. I didn't want the cheap things my friends were after. Uh, and so I saw something real. And so I think the first way is to model it and to, and to let them see it. Um, and then I think for me, I, my kids are too young. I'm not going to be the expert on this. But to me, I just want to, I, I, I don't want to be fear motivated. I want to be um, uh, kingdom motivated. That makes any sense. I'm not sure how to balance that, but I don't want to be fear. I don't want to set up my kid's life out of a fear of something happening to them because I can't control it anyway. Uh, I don't want to be dumb, but I don't want to be motivated by fear. And so I want my kids um, as much as possible to, for things to come up and always have a place. I always try to make a place for them to talk about anything. I never want any topic to be off, off, off for them. They can talk about anything, any question, any, any realm. I just want them to know any topic is going to be on the table when it comes to me relating with them. Uh, and I'm, I want to be a safe place and I don't want to like make them feel embarrassed or judged or feel bad for, you know, so as much as I can, that's all I can do now. I mean, I'm, I'm on the young end of this. You guys might have better stories than I would. So seven, five and three, I'm just setting up the conversations for later. Uh, and that's, that's all I'm trying to do. I'm playing the long game. And so I don't be fear motivated. And I'm trying to keep things all in front of me as much as possible. And then we'll just see when they come along. So. I'm not sure Amy's other question is here. Can you get specific on what you went through? What was the context there, Amy? She may be listening. I'm not sure she can speak to you, but. She just unmuted. Let's see if she talks. No, maybe you're right. Hey, can you hear me now? Yep, gotcha. Okay. Um, it was when you were talking about how 
Chris had asked you about brokenness or somebody asked you if people know they're broken and you said um, during sex week and you just went through different conversations um, and it sounded like you were going to give some specific examples, but then you just were like, just anything. And you know, I don't know if you want to take the time to, I would appreciate you taking the time to go through what the specifics were or a few specific. Like what, like what sex was about and what we covered with them. Just like topics that were brought up that you were like, let's follow this to its logical end. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the things they did that week is they had a, they had an event called sex in the dark, which sounds worse than what it really is. Um, but they bring in these things called sexperts, which are just experts on sex. I don't know how you get that title. It's really interesting. Uh, self-proclaimed. There's no school for that. Right. Anyway, I don't know. I have, to, I have questions. Um, so they bring in these sexperts and then you go to a big lecture hall, they turn the lights off. And then you can either text or you just like yell out a question because the idea is you want to have anonymity. Uh, you don't, yeah, you don't want to be known. It's basically all your voice is all you got. So they don't know who said it, but someone in this vicinity said it and they just fire away any kind of question. And, you know, and they're kind of lighthearted and make a lot of jokes. And, and the idea is mostly around sexual expression. And so, uh, they also hand out tons and tons of condoms they have a drag show. Um, they do a bunch of different stuff. So, um, and so, uh, what we talk about is I say, Hey, let's talk about sexual expression. I said, uh, so hookup culture, how do you think women, how's, how's that make you feel? And we just started having them share stories. Uh, men, what do you guys think about hookup culture? Hey, listen, it did not take long before people had very opinionated things by just those two simple questions. Um, you know, I said, Hey, uh, I said, what, you know, I said, any kind of question of like, you know, after a one night stand, how's that, how does that, how do you think people mostly feel? Do you think they feel fulfilled? You know, I mean, they know, the, you know, I so said, what about the STD problem in our country? I listed out some stats and they were like, uh, well, we don't want to talk. It's basically the same tone everywhere. It's like, we all know it, but no one wants to talk about it kind of thing. I said, what do you guys think? I mean, like, I don't know about you, but this is like not sounding so good, you know? And, and we just, we framed some questions to have them talk about that. Um, and we talked about the idea of like Tinder. Hey, is Tinder helping or hurting when it comes to what we really want from relationships? And it just, we just set them up and they just shared I mean, listen, it did, ask some young people, say, hey, do you think Tinder is set up for like real good intimacy or do you think, what do you think that's based on? And they're going to tell you, they're going to laugh first because they're going to say, huh, no, no, it's a hookup thing. You'd be like, do you think hookup culture is like a good thing in our culture? What do you feel about this? You know, and you know, like women, how do you usually feel when men look at you? Oh, uh, well, men, what do you think when you hear that? Uh, yeah, we just, I mean, we just bring it up and then, you know, it takes almost no time at all for people to go like, everything's wrong. Like nothing's right. Why is it like this? Um, and so, you know, I mean, you just, you just ask some questions and it's pretty funny. And so, but I don't know if that helps or not, but there you go. So just put your finger on it and just see where it, just ask them where it goes. They already know where it goes. They have friends. They're, it's their experiences. Thank you. Can you, can you expand on the comment you made earlier, and that is that most of the LGBT students that you've uh, come in contact with already have a perceived or know what you believe. Uh, yeah. And often we hear that the church is anti-LGBT. That's the narrative, uh, at least. And so um, do, you, do you have that uh, reaction? And how do you, how do you overcome that? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, most we have two categories of students, non-Christians and Christians. Christian ones, um, <clears throat> um, 
yeah, anyway, let me go back to that history. So Bill Henson's got really good stuff on this. He talks about the history uh, with LGBT in our country from the Faldwell days uh, on and, and all these different things. And uh, he talks about the idea of the Christian culture war, how back then the Christians had, they, they, they owned the culture war. And uh, they had all this kind of language and condemnation against LGBT people. And they just felt like they were basically told that, you know, that they're sinners, that they weren't welcomed in churches and they were felt condemned for who they are. And they needed to go through like reparative therapy kind of stuff. And, and on and on these things went for a couple of decades. And so as that culture war then shifted, the LGBT community ended up having the upper hand. Uh, but what ended up happening is they started having the upper hand and celebrating who they are. Uh, the churches started coming along and saying like, oh, this is why these people are basically insert whatever word you want to throw at them. But, you know, they don't want to come to church. They're just they're all about expression. And But as you look at this kind of war, if you look at any book or study, what you find is that the majority of LGBT people, LGBT people are looking for a place to know God, but feel that churches don't want them there. Essentially for them, what they feel like is churches told us to get out. And then when we had more power than they did, they condemn us for not wanting to be there, but they don't make a place for us. So basically they just feel like you told us to get out. You didn't make a place for us. And now you're blaming us for not coming because why would we want to be there? We don't want to come to your places, but if you ask them, most of them are looking for God, they just don't know where to go. And so you see a lot of churches popping up saying like, we're going to be open and affirming. But the problem is it's not very long before that's not the gospel anymore because it's not design. You know, it's, it's now churches that are trying to change design to be more culturally relevant. And that never works. I mean, the church history is full of people trying to change design to be more culturally relevant, and those always die. Um, that's just not going to work. And so it's, it's just a hard background. And so a lot of LGBT people, I mean, their biggest atrocities, most of them are because of Christians. You know, when it comes to community and being loved, the world has done a way better job than we have. Um, now, it's, it, it's, it's not from a, from a, a kingdom-minded place. But most of their baggage is with religion. And so when you sit down and just you try to like, it's, you know, for them, it's like, do you love me? Or are you just trying to like prove some point to me? And uh, a lot of times when you sit down and they, you know, they, they just want to know, do you love them? You know, cause they want to know God. And when you say, I'll help you know God and you do what you want your sexuality, you know, like, well, I'm going to help you know God. And then he might say some stuff, but not me. I'm going to love you no matter what. It, it gives them enough to go. Okay. Let's go to the next sentence. Um, but, but it's hard. I mean, we have transgender people at Kent. We've had a couple of them around, but we can't, I mean, it's like we reek for them. Like, it's like they come to a meeting or two and then it's it. And we can't contact them. They'll ghost us. And it's, it's heartbreaking because I just can I can't imagine the level of baggage that they walk into. Cause like that, that they, that they come around and they just feel like they can't be anywhere near us. And we try as hard as we can to love them and go out of our way to initiate with them. Uh, and they just, run like crazy and it's just to me it's heartbreaking because like there's so much baggage there and uh we just gotta trust god with it so look earlier on one of the things you talked about uh, maybe last time on the time before you came was uh, most of these kids come from broken homes so they really don't know what a normal biblical home looks like with one father one mother and children and and a lot and so you're still modeling that uh, for the ones who come. Uh, well, now with COVID, you can probably call them home, but uh, yeah. And have some of them responded to that, hey, this is what I want. 
Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to know what, 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 what fruit that yields a lot of times, but yeah, I think, um, we try real hard to bring people in our home a lot. And I think there are different students. Some students don't need it. Some students have good parents, but the ones that don't, I think we try real hard to get them around our marriage. And so, uh, there's a couple of students, actually a girl, um, she's a, she's gonna be a fifth year. Um, Lisa and I just asked her if she potentially wanted to live with us. We don't know if she wants to or not. And there's a whole slew of things we have to talk about to make that possible and be smart. But, um, but one of the reasons, uh, I, I, I think it'd be good for her to live with us is she comes from a family where her dad isn't around at all and doesn't really love her and her, uh, a single non-Christian mom. And so, uh, I think for her, it's like, she's never seen a healthy functioning family. And, uh, and I think it's, I'd love, we'd love to have her around just to see ours. Now, I think the fear is that, you know, we're going to be a mess and we're going to make mistakes and what's she going to say about us? And are we going to scare her more than help her? I don't know, maybe. Um, but you know, we love God and we love each other and we're trying to do that with all we can. And she's never seen that. And, uh, and the best way to see that is to be in our home when we're at our worst. And so, cause then she gets to see what we come back from. You know, I mean, everything looks great when it's picture perfect, but when it really goes wrong, how do you come back? That usually speaks more volumes than anything else. Um, and so I, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's with, with this, with, with, with just the breakdown of the structures and families, I think, yeah, people are longing for it and they, they don't, they're now no longer have the models to even reproduce it. So they've never seen it, <clears throat> which becomes even harder. Cause you can only, you know, it's hard because you, you need to be discipled and most kids are supposed to be discipled with a good marriage, but that's now becoming the, the minority. I think Sarah's scolding me. You see that she got her finger up. I think it's a kid, but you know, I'll just take it as me. She hates everything I'm saying. I'm saying like, even if there's not in a good marriage or like I have a friend whose husband left to this past year and she could still disciple. So like, I just don't, I don't want to make that. Oh yeah. It's like the Mary perfect marriages. Tobin's marriage is perfect. Is the ultimate. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's the way that came out. Sorry. You know, that, that, that's, that's a good clarification. I think it's the beauty of, of a good local church is yeah. um, you get generations and you get a plethora of, of diversity of when it comes to relationships. You see other marriages. Yes. I mean, you see singles who are giving their lives away and they're raising kids. I mean, discipleship is the idea of raising kids and there's a bunch of promises about the, the eunuchs and the, you know, and the singles becoming the, the motherless, the, the childless becoming mothers. And uh, yeah, I, that's where, that's where we see a huge different picture in the family of God that becomes so much fun to watch and dynamic, uh, you know, cause yeah, I mean, tragedy hits, people die, you know, and you can still show really good things. And there's this yeah. sense of family that is really, really life-changing um, when it's not just from your family unit. It needs to be bigger than your family unit, you know, cause at a certain point your kids don't want to be in your family around your family for a while, you know, like you become uncool parents, but like, but you know what I mean? But yeah, but then like the neighbor's parents are the coolest parents in the world. You know what I mean? Really hard. Yeah. And so I'm sure like our kids are looking at our, our, our marriage would be like, mom, dad, like you guys are like fuddy duddies and dumb, but their, their friends, might look at us with like big open eyes of like, you love me. Like you're, you're, you have the best marriage I've ever seen. It's like, my, my you know, it's like you need them all, you know, like, so our kids are going to grow up and roll their eyes. Like I rolled my eyes and my parents when they did their things. And, uh, and, but now I look back and I'm like, Oh, I'm appreciative, you know? So.
Anyway, um, it's 8.10. If you have to leave, you can go. I can stay on for a little bit longer if you have more questions. Uh, I don't know if this is helpful at all. I have no idea what I said uh, or what you have. I wish we had like a, in a room together and I could like have handwritten notes. I don't know because I don't know where you're coming from, what like boxes that you have or books that you've been reading or what baggage that you bring to the table because we all bring a bunch of it. Um, and I feel like I'm just like throwing things at this little screen in front of me and I have no idea what just happened. Do, do any of your, in, in your counseling approach, do I, you know, in our culture, love is such a, is almost. Still muted. I'm, I'm uh, lacking in skill on the computer. Uh, okay. I knew that because of your name already. So you're good. Keep going. <laughs> Okay, I think I'm talking now. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Our culture has really almost made love a meaningless word. You, there's, love is thrown around just for all, in all sorts of places and for all sorts of suggestions. Do they ever ask you to define love? Um, they do. What do you say? No, no they don't. Um, they don't. No. Uh -uh. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, not. It's not a question that we really get. Um, no. Yeah. We don't get a lot of that. Uh, yeah. I'd say that word. I, I agree with you. I think that word is remarkably unhelpful. Um, yeah. But I also find it remarkably helpful. Uh, yeah. Because it is. Uh, it's the main principle of the Bible. I mean, the whole. The whole game is about God loving us and him loving us first, uh, which is really, really helpful. I, I would say what people, people usually describe love in picture. Uh. So they will point to things and say, now that's true love. Um, or they'll say, I feel, and they'll try to identify feelings with love. I don't get a lot of, can you define it? I think it's more, they would say, you know it when you see it kind of thing, which <laughs> can be really unhelpful. But if you can light up a gospel picture enough, they can't deny it because yeah. what makes their heart stir is really as C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis were talking. I see whatever one said it, but it was every story is either is every story is some version of the veiled true story. And the ones that are more unveiled are the ones that ring deeper with human, with human hearts. And to me, that's, that's the whole game is this idea of love is can, well, we have the best story on that. Yeah, not gonna lose here, so I'll go to bat with anybody on that one. Um, so it seems to me that one of the key elements is unselfishness. That people are able to live together, giving up something in order to communicate, and that it just seems to me to be important. So, yeah, um, yeah, I I think the idea of covenant. In the Bible is really helpful uh, this idea of both desire and a vow. Uh, covenant is really, really helpful language because um, it brings in what they really want. They want the security of a deep, meaningful relationship, but they want to have the passion and heart of a young married couple, you know, who's just coming together. You know, they want these two ideals. Um, 
and that's only found in I think this that that design of of, of marriage. So um, it's a I think it's a helpful structure to get to get into. Any other questions or other questions people have, or I can try to anything that contextualize, or I can try to offer anything to. I might not. I could be doing tons of damage here. Hey, Buck, Jack here. I, I don't really have a question, but I, I think what's been helpful for me tonight is just to see your heart for ministry and the way that you approach the students that you work with. It's not typical. It's not what I would anticipate, you know, a navigator person to do. But what you've shown us is that there really isn't a typical way to do something in ministry. And so I really appreciate just your heart for that type of a ministry. So that's been helpful for us. Thank you. Right, thanks, Jack. Yeah, it, it really is like snowflakes. I mean, or, or children, no two are alike. Same principles, same themes, but uh, you know, I, I always tell uh, my kids in the room down there, whatever, I'll just say it anyway. I always tell students, if you meet my two kids, um, one of them, if, I, if, they, if he messes up, I don't even gotta look at him, he just falls apart. The other one, uh, sometimes you're like, do you even feel bad? Like you, you're just, you're a monster. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like one needs, one needs the firm hand and one like, it doesn't need anything. Uh, and so now if I try to treat them both the same, I'm going to crush probably both of them, uh, or, you know, or destroy one and save the other. But when you take the same principles and themes and then love them well, it, it's, it's way, it's way better. So, um, it's the same way. Yeah. It, that's what's so hard about this is I'm kind of sharing out a broad picture and trying to speak very generally. But when you get into certain people and certain things, it's like, Oh, I can give you lots of stories of what it looked like for this person and what their story was and what, and, you know, how we helped them because it really does feel that way of to try to apply a one size fits all feels very dehumanizing because everyone's story is just so complicated. And it's, and it's just, just so many layers of humanity on top of each other. Um, it's just, yeah, it's your heart breaks for them. Can I ask you a question back? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can say whatever you want. You, I just want to like prompt, a, a, I don't know. Could you speak to, you're talking in the beginning about sexuality is more than just sex and how um, we are like, as we, you and I talk, we talk about sexuality is just in all people, singles and marrieds. And you're talking about how like singleness is a gift, marriage is a gift, and both display the gospel. Can you speak to like singleness and sexuality and the importance of singles in the church and how if a church is welcoming to singles, it can therefore be a more welcoming place to LGBT people? Nope, I will not. You can singles, do it. sexuality and all those things. No, no, I want you to do it. Really? Yeah, because listen, okay, real quick. She knows as much as, as I do in this, and, uh, and together we really do a tandem and a team. This area, I, I, don't, I don't mean this is like a punkiness, but I, I, I generally do think you say this better than I do. So I, I'd rather have you say it than me. Okay, well, I just wanted to say words to that end. You can jump in, Buck. But just how, like, as we've learned from Dr. Julie Slattery, like, she talks about how sexuality is written on our bodies, uh, or the gospel 
like in our sexuality, it's like written on our bodies. Like the way we long for intimacy, the way we long for exclusive faithfulness, the way we long for um, like passion and nakedness, like all people have those desires, single or married. Um, we are all sexual by design. It's not just like marrieds get sexuality and singles don't like single people as well as married people have sexuality and we all have unmet desires in our sexuality. Um, and I think that's where we can see that like only God can meet our desires, um, single and married. Like there's more in common there than there is different. I think a lot of times, like any married person, if they're honest, will share unmet sexual desires. Any single person will share that as well. And so there's more in common. And, um, the gospel's written in that, in that like God desires this naked intimacy with us. He wants to be faithful with us. And as much as culture is strayed from, um, a lot of the biblical designs of, I don't know, healthy marriage and purity, like the thing that culture will like rear its head at is unfaithfulness. There's something within us that like is so like hurt by that or like finds it wrong, even if you like leave all the other expressions of sexuality are okay. Mm -hmm. So again, sexuality is a picture in our bodies of the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. I don't know if that made sense. So singles have that picture and marrieds have that picture. Marrieds get to live it out with, you know, the photograph of the Grand Canyon. And we've had single friends that teach on this topic. They say, we just skip the picture. And in my singleness, I go straight to the, the main thing, the Grand Canyon, um, which we all have access to as well. But, you know, you can skip the picture if you're single and just engage in that, that intimate relationship with God. And we've heard other people say, like, we need, to, as, as Beth was saying, it can't all be about the nuclear family and protect just the family unit. Our family would be greatly lacking without the single friends we've had in our life, in our home, helping me at bedtime when Buck's traveling, um, helping me at meal times, you know, when he's out of time. Like, the singles are so, so important, and they can teach us things about the Lord just as much as marrieds can teach them. And, and LGBT communities are called communities because they're family for each other, for people who have often been kicked out of families. And I think that's what the church can be when we do life well with marrieds and singles and even like marrieds blending with other married families. Um, Cause we've heard like um, Christopher Ewan of Moody. He says, we can't even talk about homosexuality until we talk about a right view of singleness in the scriptures. Um, Cause you're asking somebody to just give up everything in their whole life and not offering them the real gift that the church body can be. Um, I've heard um, Rosaria Butterfield talk about, you know, there's that passage in the Gospels where it says, for all of you who've denied mother, father, brother, sister, to follow me, you'll gain more in the kingdom. Well, that can be gained here on earth as we invite them into the literal family of God, if that makes sense. Because she talks about how she had to literally give up, you know, her partner, her community, but she could do it because she stepped into a real family, like family, family, family in the church body. And so, and I think that's an especial strong point of small churches like Northern Hills. So I think sometimes singles can feel overlooked in these conversations. I just wanted to add that. Does that make sense? Yep. No, that's really good. Uh, that was way better than I would have said it. So yeah, it's really good. So yeah, we're, we're very much of a tandem. And so, because I lead a little crazy and we have kids around, this is why I'm doing more of this, but I really do default to her a lot. And so, 
Yeah, the, the, the number one question singles usually get in the church is when are you going to get married? Um, and so it's, you know, it's, I wish they would just fight back and then turn to the, to the marriage, like, when are you gonna get divorced? Uh, and so it'd be funnier. Uh, I'm not sure if people would like it, but it'd be funnier. Um, because why, why are you asking somebody to reject the gift God's given them? And so, uh, it's, it's, it's theology checks up. So, uh, but anyway, so it's just a funny little thing, but you know, but some people, are too scared to take their gift. So it's, you know, it's just hard to take stereotypes. Some people need to be pushed because they're too afraid to trust God to use their gift. Other people, you know, need to be content with theirs and, and love that they've embraced it. And so it's, 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 it's just so complicated. So yeah, thanks baby. That was helpful. Uh, at least anything else I missed. She's really good at catching all my crap that I've missed. And well, you have three kids, you, you don't have two, you have three kids. I mean, I got that one. F3. What did I say? I said you have two kids. I had two kids. I did? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Hey, is that, is that picture and a lot of that in that sex and the single girl book from Julie Slattery? Is that picture like the Grand Canyon and skipping that? And I thought that was really a cool, great picture. Grand Canyon's my thing. I've oh. adapted that from like two or three different people and I've applied okay. that illustration into Julie. And then a friend of ours uh, with a navigator on the team with me at the show. I think this in the Shaw is he's the one that's offered that can skip the picture and go to the real thing. But yeah. go ahead, offer in. She's done the studies. She knows the books. I don't know. I don't know Julie's. Depth it's up. a really good study. I did it this year, and it was terrifying. So you, anybody who's interested in that actual six-week Bible study, you can let me know. Um, yeah, there's a lot of other really good studies we've done, but that's a good one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, if you're interested in resources, just email us. Um, it's and the the more context we have the better because uh we try to honor the individual in all of this and so and then it helps me understand like how could i help you what resources would i give you or how could i help you like like see what i have done i can only give we only give what we've gotten and so that's kind of the idea again so for women passion pursuit is a really excellent marriage study that julie has they're very similar but that's just another resource uh, yeah. yeah, we love Julie Slattery a lot. Like anything she does, just go read that. Uh, anybody she recommends, just read them too. Uh, she's she's phenomenal. So uh, maybe one more. We'll be done by eight thirty for sure. One more, or are we can just end early. That early, end late, early. Whatever you know what I mean. Looks like it might be it, Buck. All right. Really appreciate you and Lisa, and uh, boy, it's been a tremendous time this evening, and so really thankful to the Lord that, uh, for your ministry and what you've shared tonight as well. So maybe go ahead and close our time in prayer, please. Who's praying? Oh, I missed that part. Me? Yeah, please, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to sign that out. Uh, okay, I can do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we do thank you um, that we can have the real thing that the Grand Canyon is for everybody, uh, that all can be included, that all have access to it. Uh, singles, married, LGBT, everyone can have access to who you are. Uh, and so, Lord, we know that the good news of the gospel is that it is so attractive and good. Uh, and I think the tension for most of the world is how can something so good be so true? Uh, that's, that's what we want to create. So, um, yeah, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for for who you are, Lord, and your heart for us, and help us trust you 
with all areas of our, our life, even our sexuality, that when it comes to this marriage, that we would have nothing that's off limits between us. So, uh, yeah, we thank you. Uh, thank you for this community of believers that we could um, wrestle with hard things, talk about hard things, and try to love the world around us well, and, and try to lift up your name and who you are to others so that they might see you for who you really are uh, and know the true God. So in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Buck. And Lisa, again, uh, 